restroom. They got a cute baby, don't they? What a patient kid. Just heads up, they like Cheetos, okay? If you want to bless our new pastor, that's one of the ways to do it. They're coming with a fresh vision. They're coming because God's assigned them for this time frame in our church. So let's, let's keep praying for what God has next for us as a fellowship. Before I get into my message this morning, we want to just share a few praise reports from missions giving, and they're pretty exciting. Uh, first of all, you know that uh, there was a couple young teenagers, or I think they're teenagers still, uh, Jacob Simonowitz and, uh, J- no, sorry, Jonathan Simonowitz and Jacob Rayfield. Are you guys here? Right there, stand up, stand up. How about Jacob, are you here? No? Listen, Jonathan did a thousand push-ups. And and Jacob Rayfield, he did a thousand and ten sit-ups. Now, I don't think I've done that many in my entire life. <laughs> These guys did it one afternoon. Unbelievable, guys. Thank you for killing yourself for God. <laughs> but together, they raised $1,000 for Speed Delight. Isn't that great? Thank you for those of you that, that made pledges to their efforts, and we just so appreciate that. That's giving to missions. Uh, Another exciting thing is, remember, Life Challenge was here a a couple of weeks ago. Church was sending $7,000 to the Teen Challenge work because of your giving. Because of your giving. Thank you. And because of your giving to missions on a regular basis, we've been able to take on three new missionaries and assist in five new church plants that are taking place around the world, and it's exciting. Isn't it exciting? Yeah, praise God. So thank you. Thank you for your generosity and sometimes sacrificially giving. We so appreciate that. And, and it's all for, the, for, the, for God's glory and for his kingdom. And people are coming to salvation. The people are hearing the gospel message because of it. That's what being a part of World Missions is about, church. Bob Roberts, good friend, who is a missionary to the Philippines, said we're either going or we're sending. We're doing one of the two when it comes to missions. So we're either going, we're called to go, we're called to support. And, it's, and both of those are honored by the Lord and his word. So let's continue to be a part of missions teams, uh, especially in our giving. And when these crazy kids come up with ideas, either whether it's shooting basketball hoops or sit-ups and push-ups, let's, uh, let's join the team and contribute to what's happening. Okay, for those of you that are new to our church this morning, we've been going through the book of Colossians And last week, uh, the message that I shared on was about Paul focused on the supremacy of Jesus Christ as he's speaking to this church in Colossae. He's informing them in a new way about the greatness of Jesus. And as he gets to the tail end of that, he talks about he is the creator and lord of creation. We learned that last week. He is also the creator and lord of the new creation, which is the church and all that follows after his death on the cross. He is the Savior and Lord of reconciliation, which is the process of coming into the church, of being born again. These are all the things that he is Lord of. These are the things that he oversees in his domain. And as Paul moved towards the end of this message, 
with the last verses that were part of that, that message. He shares these words out of Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. He said, this is the gospel that you've heard and that has been or is now being proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. It's an interesting wording that Paul uses there. He saw himself as a servant of the gospel. What an interesting way to put that. And the reason that he sees himself as a servant of the gospel is because he's a servant of Jesus Christ. To be a servant of Jesus Christ is to be a servant of the gospel. Why do we say that? Because that is the goal of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pick that up very clearly in his words in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where he says this. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. That's the mandate of heaven, church. And it's the mandate of the church to seek and save that which is lost. So if Jesus is Lord and master of our lives, then his goal becomes our goal. Serving Jesus and serving the gospel are really one and the same thing. And so this is the backdrop. This is kind of a transitional verse that Paul is using to move from the topic of the supremacy of Jesus Christ to now the gospel. And so this is the backdrop and the theme of our message this morning, which is fulfilling the heart of God. And let's, oh, it's already up on the screen, good. But before we do, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's message and Paul's letter to this new church. And as he's doing so, he's not only describing you, but he's also describing the task of the church. He's about to do that as, by viewing his life and ministry. So Lord, we thank you for this portion of scripture. It not only speaks to the Corinthians, it's Colossians, it speaks to us. And so we just ask you to speak to our hearts this morning and arise in us, Lord. Open our eyes to see your word and the very things you're wanting to penetrate our hearts with this day. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So fulfilling the heart of God, we're going to get to the, to the, to the clarity of that, of that phrase as we move forward. But Paul starts off, there's, four, there's six verses, uh, verses 24 through 20, uh, 29. And he, but he starts off with one, with one verse that has some questionable material in it, and we want to look at that first. Uh, Colossians 1.24. It raises questions, uh, a phrase that's a part of this verse. And it says this, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh, and this is the phrase right here, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. That phrase, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, really raises some questions when it's at first glance. Because the question comes, arises, is Paul actually saying that Christ's suffering and death were not sufficient? It kind of sounds like that with that phrase, doesn't it? The answer is no. Absolutely not. That's not what he's saying. So what is he saying by that? Well, to really understand what Paul's saying here, we really have to look at it and view it in connection with the other verses that are, that are brought into this picture. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go to the, to the end of the verses, and we are going to work our way back with, with five points that really help bring clarity to what he's actually trying to say with that statement to the Colossians. And so the first point we're looking at is the work of the gospel. It's all related around the gospel, by the way. 
And the first point is the work of the gospel. We picked that up in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, where Paul says, To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And that word contend is a word that means labor or work intensely. So Paul is saying, I work intensely. It's, in the, it's a verb in the present tense, which means continuous action. So he is always doing this. It's a part of his life. Uh, the active voice says that it's a, a volitional choice. So it's choice that, God, that Paul is making to do these things that he's speaking about. And that phrase together, st- strenuously contend, implies difficulty or trouble. So you put all four of those things together, and this is what Paul is actually doing. Paul chooses as a lifestyle, and get this, he's choosing as a lifestyle to work intensely toward a specific end that oftentimes included difficulty and trouble. He's working really hard, knowing that trouble is going to be part of this deal. Who does that? Why would he do that? Well, we have to, first of all, see what the end is that he's speaking about and who it is that he's working for. That'll help us discover that. We also see that he's not doing it alone. Uh, he says, uh, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. He did it with the energy that Christ worked in him. It's a partnership, church, and we understand that. It's a partnership with the gospel. We work together with Jesus to bring the gospel to the world. And the thought here is this, when he says this, the thought here is that Christ's energy works through our energy. He adds to us what we need, but it really starts with us. Jesus does not do the work instead of us, but he does the work while we are working. That's the thought. So church, uh, what does that mean to us practically? Well, it means this. It is our job to actually do the work of presenting the gospel. It isn't Jesus' job, it's our job. But as we work, his promise is that he will anoint us, he will gift us, he will give us wisdom and grace to do exactly what he's calling us to do. He will open the hearts of lost people as we, as we talk with them. He will penetrate their hearts by his spirit as we work together. It's a partnership, but our, tie, but our job is to actually do the work. Because it's a partnership, we all have a part to play. So Paul is speaking that out. And, but he starts off that verse with, to this end. And what, what end is Paul talking about? Well, that is the goal of the gospel, the next point. What is the goal of the gospel? We pick it up in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, and he's speaking about Jesus, admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And that's the goal, to present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's the end of the gospel. It begins by initially inviting Jesus Christ into our lives. That's the beginning point. But it continues by being developed into maturity. And that's all about discipleship. But this is Jesus' goal, so it's our goal as well. How did Paul say he did this? Well, he did it by proclaiming the gospel, admonishing and teaching with all wisdom. That word proclaim is to publicly declare plainly and openly. It talks about taking the initiative, church, every one of us, taking the initiative to proclaim openly and plainly the message of Christ. It's a verb in the present tense, which means it's a continuous action in our lives, at least it should be, it was in Paul's. And we are to admonish, 
And that word to monish, simply put, means to place in someone's mind a thought for change. And, he, and these words are often surrounded with that in the Greek. We are, to, we are to compel, encourage, gently rebuke, reason, and debate. In other words, we should do everything we can to work with God to influence people to Jesus. That's what he's speaking about. And then he talks about uh, teaching, which is to instruct, as Paul said, with all wisdom. And the best way to instruct with all wisdom is to instruct with the word of God, isn't it? Under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean to us practically? Well, we need, it comes in the form of a question, this one. What am I doing to help complete Jesus' goal to draw people to him and help them to develop into, mat into mature believers? That's the question we need to be asking ourselves. In church, every now and again, we need to evaluate our lives and just say, what am I really doing with my life? We've had several words this morning, all who were about putting Jesus first and looking to him. Uh, how are we putting Jesus first in our time? How are we putting Jesus first in relationship to the gospel? How are we putting Jesus first with the task of the church which, of which we are all a part of if we have been born again believers? What are we doing to continue this work? And that really brings us to the point of motivation, doesn't it? Because we will only do what we're motivated to do. And unless I'm motivated to do something, I'm not going to do it. So where do we get the motivation Next point, the heart of the gospel. And we're going to spend a little time here because this is such a powerful scripture which we could spend probably three or four sermons on. But we'll do it quickly today. And we find that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 through 27. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages in generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory, this glorious mystery. And why does he call it a mystery? Well, because up to that point, up to that point, uh, it's not because it was not understood, but because it had been hidden. You see, the, the gospel message up until the New Testament time and the New Covenant, which was inaugurated by Jesus' death and resurrection, and, and, and brought forward by the birthing of the church. Up to that point, it was still a mystery. In the Old Testament times, uh, God was just, had been progressively revealing himself and his plan through the years. And he did it in a number of ways. The Jewish nation was part of that, where he was revealing himself progressively to God's people, the Jews, and then and through them to the whole world. He did it through the sacrifices and the, and the festivals. He did it through the prophets of the Old Testament that prophesied about him. But they didn't understand it. Jesus said they looked forward to this time frame. What time frame? When Jesus would be revealed, when Jesus would be brought, when he would step into our world, and he would not only become Savior, but when he left, he would send the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit would now inhabit God, God's people, those who invited him into their lives. He would inhabit the very his very presence would live inside every believer. The Old Testament believers only saw it from a distance. They only touched on it now and again. The Holy Spirit was in the Old Testament, but he only, he only came upon people in certain time frames and, and in limited ways. It was always on the outside. It was never on the inside. So this is a new era that's beginning. In church, we, we had the privilege of looking back 2,000 years 
and in hindsight, seeing all of this is true. But to this church at this time, this was brand new. The Gentiles had been left out of the picture, remember? They were, they were outside the picture, outside the promises. But now what Paul is saying to the, to the, to the Gentiles of, of the Colossae church, now you get to experience this incredible blessing, this incredible promise that God has made. Now the time has come to really receive it in its fullness. It's now being revealed to God's people, his church, both Jews and Gentiles. And I love this phrase in verse 27 where he says, to them God has chosen. To them God has chosen. Can we bring that verse back up again? The last one we just looked at. To them God has chosen. It's a powerful word. In the Greek it's the word philo. And it describes, and listen closely, it describes an intense desire, an intense desire produced from deep emotions. That intense desire is produced from deep emotions that result in an active decision, decision of one's will. In other words, the driving force behind this decision first begins with an intense desire that is produced from deep emotions. Have you had, ever had moments in your life when decisions were made because of an intense desire that was, that, that, that was birthed out of deep emotions. I've made several of those. One of the most important ones I made was when I asked my wife to marry me. Uh, we had been dating for a while, and I was getting to the point where I was ready to ask her to marry me. And believe me, there were deep emotions and intense desire. I'd been thinking about it for weeks. I'd been planning it for weeks. But before that, I'd spent months dreaming about it. Our relationship had grown to the point where I realized this is the woman I want to spend the rest of my life with. And, uh, but it wasn't time yet. I was going off to a, to a training school for three months, and she was still in Germany. I was in Switzerland. So we had a long-distance relationship, and uh, the timing wasn't right. But it got there. And the day that I asked her to marry, man, there were deep emotions, intense desire, and it was the driving force behind that question, will you marry me? But see, this is what's happening in the heart of God right now. At this moment, when Jesus stepped into our universe, when he died on the cross, and now the church is birthed, and Paul is saying, this is the heart of God right now. See, it's very personal with God because he has been waiting 4,000 years for this time. He has been waiting 4,000 years from the moment Adam and Eve sinned and the heart of God came to plan. It was being birthed. He began to have it prophesied and taught throughout the Old Testament. He began, began to progressively reveal himself to bring it all to a time frame when it was ready to bring the Savior into the world. And not just the Savior into the world, but a Savior that by his Spirit would live in each one of us. It's powerful, church, and God is excited about this moment. And what is he waiting for? Well, to make known not only to the Jews, but to the rest of the human race, the riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is, what is Christ in you, the hope of glory? Well, glory is a word in the Greek that says is uh, doxa. And we get the word doxology from that. And in its simple ter simplest terms, again, it's to give a proper opinion or an estimation of something. 
So when we speak of the glory of God, it expresses all that he is in all of his being, his nature, his character, his power, his acts, and future realities. It's everything about God is expressed in his glory. He is glorified when he is allowed to be seen for who he really is. It is God on display with all that he is. And that would only be possible by him living inside of us, by his spirit. Because not only do we see God now, we get to experience him daily if we choose to. Because Jesus is the glory of God. And that's brought out even more clear in Galatians chapter 4, this thought, verses 4 through 7. Let's read it together. Uh, you can read it with me. You can read it, not read it out loud, but read it as I'm reading it, excuse me. But when the set time come, and here's that thought again, when the set time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those under the law. And that was important, because we were sinners because of the law. And we had broken the law, but Jesus lived it perfectly. He never sinned. And so he could, he could, he could take our place as a sinner on the cross. But not only that, he could give us his righteousness, and that's what he, what he, exactly what he did. I call it the divine exchange. He exchanged his righteousness to us to take our sin. I think we got the better end of the deal, church. But not only that, because of that taking place, he says that we might receive the adoption to sonship. And because you are sons and daughters, and listen to this, God sent the spirit, the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit of Jesus. When we invite Jesus into our lives, and I can't explain to fully how it happens, church, but when we do that, the spirit of Jesus comes into our spirit. That's why we have a spirit. That's why God designed us with a spirit, so that it could be inhabited with his spirit. And when we do that, regeneration takes place. It's a born-again experience that happens within us. And he is living within us now. And the spirit, um, the spirit is the one that cries out, Abba, Father, a very endearing, intimate term with God. So that you are no longer slaves, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also heir. Are we catching this, church? This is what Jesus, God is, is so excited about. The gospel has come. A new day has dawned spiritually for the world. And it still is present with us now today that when people actually do surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, and we know this, I know, this is nothing new to your ears, but it's something we have to get, make sure that it doesn't become so, so, so regular in our lives that we miss the power of what it presents. This is what everybody is looking for, church. Everybody. They don't know it yet, many of them but it is. They're trying hard to find it in the world, but they're only going to find it in him. They're searching, they're working hard, but they, they just don't know that that's what they need. They need the Abba Father. They need the Christ in you, hope of glory. But they won't hear about it until somebody tells them. So what does this mean to us practically? We are to live our lives for the glory of God. We are to live our lives in such a way that God is on display in our lives. And how does that happen? 
what happens to our attitudes. It happens to our communication. It happens with, our, with the way we value people and love them. It happens with, in our communication, we listen to them. We let them share their lives with us and the difficulties that they're walking through. And we patiently listen with great intent because somewhere along that line, there's going to be an open door that the Holy Spirit will bring. And that's when we want to step into it with them. We want to live our lives in such a way that people begin to trust us and respect who we are because they trust the Jesus that's living in us. And because when they do, they will listen to us. I've talked to believers and said, listen, nobody wants to listen to me. Well, you need to spend time building. In today's world, we need to build relationships and build trust. And the church has been so marginalized these days and so criticized that we are the enemy almost. We're the bad people. And so we need to reverse that understanding with our lives. And so part of our task, whether at work, at home, with our family, among lost people, is to create an atmosphere with God that invites people in. And that leads us to the next point, the call of the gospel. Colossians 1.25 says this, I have become its servant. Paul uses that phrase once again. By the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. We are first of all called to be in relationship with Jesus Christ and serve him. Jesus, it says in the scripture, in the gospels that he called the disciples first of all to be with him. That's our first task. Because we will never represent the gospel clearly without representing him. And we won't represent him well until we really know him deeply. Until we get to grow in that fellowship. Doesn't mean we don't share the gospel until we're perfect at that. It just means we share what we know about him now. It's all about sharing our lives. And really, our testimony is one of the most powerful, other than the gospel, it's probably the second most powerful thing we can talk to people about. This is what Jesus did for me. This is what the hope of glory looks like. Let me tell you what Jesus did in my life. So following serving Jesus automatically commits us to the gospel by presenting the word of God in its fullness, which also suggests not just evangelism, but discipleship, bringing people to maturity. And what does this mean to us practically? Well, we are all called church. This call wasn't just the missionaries. It wasn't just the pastors. It wasn't just to evangelists. His call is to the whole church. Matthew 28, when Jesus spoke some of his last words to his disciples, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. We are to do that, church, and that is the call upon every one of our lives. Different contexts. Some, some, some of us are called to be missionaries. Some of us are called to be pastors and evangelists. But some of us are called to a mission field that says, fireman, designer, businessman, homemaker. We've got people all around us in our neighborhoods, our places of work. We've got family members who really don't have a relationship with Jesus, but that's what he's called us to. But with the call comes a cost, and that's where we end up, lined up, uh, end up back in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. And let's read that verse again. The cost of the gospel. It cost Jesus to bring the gospel into reality, didn't it? It cost him his full life. And throughout the ages, the church has suffered persecution, sometimes death, for the sake of getting the gospel out. 
And Paul says that about himself as well. He, he says this, now I rejoice in what I have suffered for you. Um, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. First of all, Paul says, I rejoice in the suffering, re he rejoices in the sufferings that he has for the church. And then he fills up his flesh, is that statement again, in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. That word fill up is an interesting word. It means to step into the gap. And it was a military term that the Roman legions used. You know how they formed formations that looked like a box and they would march into battle with that formation. Now when a person, one of the soldiers got killed or wounded and he fell, the sergeant in arms of that, of that battalion would say, fill up. And so the, the line right behind him, the person that was right behind him in line, stepped into that gap and all the other lines filled in as well. So it was to fill up the gap, to stand the gap. Next man up in the battle battalion. Next person up, it's your, it's your responsibility to step into the gap. And that's the thought behind what we're talking about this morning. Again, Paul is not saying that Christ's afflictions weren't enough. What, what is he saying? Well, the context provides the meaning. Paul has been strenuously working to bring the gospel to the Gentiles with the goal of developing mature believers. He's to, uh, to share the good news with the Jews and Gentiles alike that Jesus the Messiah has come and that his salvation is Christ in you, hope of glory, is no longer a mystery, but it's available to everyone. That excites the heart of God. I hope it excites us. This section is all about getting the gospel to those who have not heard the good news. When Paul says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, the point is this. Paul's suffering fills up Christ's suffering not by adding to the worth of what Christ did, but by extending what he did to the people that it was meant to bless. Let's go on further. What is lacking in the afflictions of Christ is not that they are deficient in any way, as though they could not sufficiently cover the sins of all who believe. Paul often spoke about the fact that they could in many of his letters. What is lacking is that the infinite value of Christ's death for our sins is still not fully known to the world. There are mystery hidden to many people, including Americans. God's intention is that the mystery revealed is extended to everyone. And the afflictions that are lacking in the sense that they are not seen and known to everyone, they must be carried by ministers of the word. And we are all ministers of the word. Those ministers of the word fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ by extending them to others. So what is lacking, church, that Paul is speaking about is not the effectiveness of Christ's sufferings on the cross. That's not what's lacking. What's lacking is the proclamation of this finished work on the cross to people that have yet to hear it. Do we catch that? So Paul is saying, the reason for my suffering is to take Christ's suffering and make it known to the world. But it comes with a cost. Paul had been beaten, imprisoned, stoned and left for dead, shipwrecked, and constantly harassed by the Pharisees and religious leaders and false apostles. But look what he says about this. I rejoice 
in what I am suffering for you. What, a, what an attitude. I think that attitude comes by a number of things. First of all, he was excited that this gospel message that had so changed his life is now getting to, to the Gentiles, people that were outside of the promise for so many years but now are brought in. He's really excited about that. But there's a second reason he's excited, and I hope I can convey that in the next few minutes with you before we close. And I want to look at three verses that may help us catch that understanding. The first one is found in 2 Peter 3.9, where, where Peter says this. He's talking about the Lord's second coming, and the church was kind of saying, you know what, we're going through so much, so much uh, persecution right now. When is Jesus going to come back? And this is Paul's word to him. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone, everyone, everyone to come to repentance. You catch the heart of God with that, church? Look up there and, watch, and look at that. Think about it. He's not slow. But God knows this. The moment he says, okay, time's up. I'm coming back. It's all over. The human race, as we know it today, is finished. He knows when he does that, there'll be no more opportunity for lost people to know him. I've talked with believers and said, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. I wish you'd come tomorrow. And my response is, yeah, I'm excited about that too, but I'm glad that he's waiting. I'm glad that he waited past 1970 because that's when I gave my life to Jesus. I'm glad he waited past other dates where people have come to Christ. He's waiting, church. He's waiting because he knows that when he makes that final decision, it is going to be final. That's the heart of our God. That's, that's the heart Paul understood. Ezekiel 11, 33, 11 says this. This is Old Testament. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. Say to them, and this is God's message through Ezekiel, say to them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord. And this is at a point when the nation of Israel was in rebellion. They were away from God. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why? Because once the wicked die, it's over. There's no more opportunity for them to hear and then you hear again his cry to the, to the nation of Israel, but rather that they would turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? What a strong, powerful statement God is making that comes out of the heart of God. Do you hear it, church? Do you hear his heart? And then in Luke chapter 15, he's just shared the parable of the lost sheep the 99 that he had that were okay, but he goes out and he seeks after the lost sheep, and when he brings them back, he rejoices with all of his neighbors, and then he makes this statement, I tell you that in the same way, like this lost sheep and the celebration that took place afterwards, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Listen, church, he's excited about everybody's in church this morning. Yes, he, he loves us. He, he was excited when we came to him. And he is thrilled that we're here worshiping him today. It's been a great experience with the presence of God. 
But he sees this, but he also sees out there, he sees pews that are empty, that should be filled with people that are ready to give their lives to Jesus Christ or just have or who are discipling them. That's what he's speaking about. More, re- more, more rejoicing in heaven. Wow, he rejoices over us. It says in the Bible, he does it with singing. But he is really excited when one lost person. More about that one person. Because the, each and every one of us has a unique place in his heart that only we can fulfill. And there are a lot of spots still unfulfilled in the heart of God right now. So you see, this is the burden of heaven. This is the burden of heaven. And it should be our burden as well. What does it mean to us practically? Well, let me again ask you a question. What is it worth to you to fulfill the heart of God? What price am I willing to pay to fill up Jesus' afflictions in my generation? You see, when I got saved in 19, it was 1970. Now I'm 71. I'm the generation that I'm responsible for, church, all of us are. The generations that we live in, we are responsible for with God. And the question that he really asked the church are you going to help me fulfill the task? Am I going to finish the mission? Am I going to be a part of doing that with God? It's our turn to step up, church. There are, few, there are generations before us that have done their task, and now they've gone home to be with the Lord. It's our job to step into the gaps and begin to fill those gaps with God. Don't just wait for opportunities. Pray for opportunities. Look for opportunities and create opportunities. He said the most wise being in the whole universe, and he knows, how to, he knows how to speak to people. I'm not very good at evangelism, but Jesus is great at it. And his spirit lives in me. And because of that, I can be better than me. All of us can be. You say, well, it's not really my bag. It needs to be. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the gospel is paramount in our lives. Not trying to put it heavy on any one of us. I'm just saying, God, check it out with Jesus. What part am I doing? How am I helping to further the kingdom of God? Because one day, church, it's going to be all over. It could come next week. It could come a month from now. It could come next year. You just don't know. I'm 71. My time's running out. I'm not going to die tomorrow, okay? At least I don't think so. You never know what can happen. But at 71, I'm thinking, you know what? 10, 15, maybe years left of my life. I wish I had thought that way at 19. Because when we step into heaven, whether by Jesus' return or dying, that'll be the last opportunity we will ever have to affect people for Jesus Christ. Let's make the most of our lives. Let's make the most of our time, church, because when we step into heaven... All that we had here on earth, and there's nothing with having homes and cars and eating at McDonald's and getting ice cream. There's nothing wrong with taking vacations. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But when we step into eternity, it's going to be all over. Those things will burn away, and only what we've done for Jesus will remain. Let's make it happen. Let's make our life really count for eternity. As we close... First of all, if you're here this morning and you have not turned your life over to Jesus Christ, you've never made a personal commitment.
to invite him into your life. You want to give that opportunity today. We're a church that believes in, in, in inviting people to know him. I'm going to just ask every head bowed, every eye closed at this moment. I'm going to start on your, on your right side. I'm going to look across the aisles. And if that's you, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand so we can pray with you. If you're in that position this morning, you know that you haven't asked Jesus into your life, but you know that you need to. You know that you've lived a life and made choices that, that, that have separated you from him. But you have a desire to invite this Jesus into your life, the creator of the universe, that can bring life to your soul. You ready to step away from a lifestyle of making bad choices to learning how to make right choices with him? If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand, starting on your right side on the bottom level. Anybody here in this world? Okay, going to the next level. Anybody there? We won't force you. Jesus doesn't force you. We won't either, but we all want to give you time. Okay, I'm going to the second, going to, to your left, center aisle. Anybody there? Next aisle over. Okay, up in the balcony, guys. Anybody there? Okay. No hands this morning? That's okay. But to the rest of us that are part of the church, let's step in the gap. Oh, there's one, one person that's left their hand? Okay, wonderful. Thank you. God bless you. You can put it back down. We've had one person raise their hand. Isn't that exciting? Listen, we're going to pray a prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. And I would like all of the church to join me in that prayer, and you especially, and just invite Jesus into your life. Can we do that? And just pray this prayer with me. It doesn't matter the words. What matters is our heart. And so let's just pray that together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came and died for, this, for my sins. I know that I'm a sinner. And I want to turn my life around. And I, I realize that for that to happen, I need to have you in my life. So I turn from my sin. I turn from my independence. And I now invite you to come into my life. To be my Lord and Savior. Teach me how to live your life. And I ask you to bring your life into my life. Right now, I thank you for stepping into my life. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins. And now begin to build the life that you want me to live. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we have one new member in the family church. And I'm going to invite that person. Yeah, praise God. Great to have him as a part of, part of our group. I'm going to invite that person to come and see me afterwards or one of our pastors so we could just share with you a little bit. And also, we have a special packet for you at the Visitor's Center afterwards. We'd love you to pick up that packet so that there's more information about what has just happened in your life. And so we'd like you to pick that up. But really, 
come see one of our pastors. Or Roger Heider. Roger, would you raise your hand again? Stand up so they can see you. That guy right there. Okay, Roger, thank you. See them, but get that packet and see one of our pastors so we can kind of help you understand what's just happened in your life, okay? God bless you. For the rest of us, church, let's just close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you for this text. Thank you that as Paul was speaking to the church at Corinth, at, at Colossae, he was also speaking to the church worldwide in churches that were to come, and that, that includes us. It's a powerful text, Lord Jesus, and it challenges us. But Lord, your, your task is not to put condemnation on us for any reason at all, but to, but to call us to what we've been called to as the church. And I just pray that you would do that, a work of grace in our lives. Help us see our task connected to you. And we thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, church, have a great week. Remember who you are wherever you go. God bless you.